Well, it is a delight to welcome you here this morning, as always, and uh, I'm always honored and appreciative, filled with so much gratitude when you decide to come and spend part of your weekend with us here at Stones Hill. So it is such a joy to have you here. Um, I got a somewhat of a surprise visit this week. Our granddaughter came, two granddaughters came, and uh, Megan and Dave and her husband uh, made the journey out to see us. And I got tickled this morning, my youngest granddaughter, uh, Rosa, got a golf club and she was peeing off on an Easter egg. So uh, <laughs> the Easter egg didn't have a chance. And uh, so it's been fun, she's unpredictable, and, and, uh, but it's always good to have guests in from out of state. And uh, so many of you are privileged to have family close by, and that's such a blessing, and enjoy that because God is so good that way. Uh, but the visits are special too very special so it's great to have them um, I just want to thank you for being here this morning and then also for uh, just tracking with me in a series we're calling prodigals well, it's kind of a mini series we're in a, a series called great chapters of the Bible and so on the on the slide here on the screen uh, you're gonna see that this little mini series that we got going next slide is actually called prodigals and really this morning I'm in just a few moments I'm gonna read all 32 verses uh, of this passage, because uh, the passage, the chapter, offers to us a, um, a trilogy, uh, what I would call three parables, or a trilogy of parables of lostness. And so it's kind of interesting, they all kind of work together, and each of them set up the other one in, in a way that I think that Jesus wants to drive home a very valuable, very, very valuable point. Um, we don't understand this, these, uh, this trilogy of uh, parables unless we understand who told it and why they told it and of course we know Jesus told the story and we know why he told the story because he says as much here in the first few verses uh, so what I want us to do is just get familiar with the the passage once again and uh, I'll read through this and then we'll we'll talk to you a little bit about um, the elder brother and some of the things insights that we get from him What's really important for us to realize this morning is that some people are blatant uh, when it comes to going into the far country and they just, uh, they insult mom and dad, family, they do whatever they got to do to be free and off they go in the far country and they're blatant about that, they're not hiding that, that's just the way they're going to live their life. And that's every parent's fear and every parent's uncertainty is that maybe we'll have family members that go that route. Not just parents, maybe a spouse, maybe someone you love, extended family. will just go blatant and go into the far country and just really, really lose a sense of who they are. That's one, one way to do that. But what this parable, of the third parable of the three, is going to show us this morning is that some people don't just go blatant into the far country. Some people drift there over time in small increments. They, they never leave home, like the one elder, uh, younger son left home, he went in the far country, right? They, they don't leave home, they're industrious, they're in the field doing their jobs, they're working, they're, they're faithful, they're obedient, they're honoring who they should honor, and it goes on and on, but something happens in that process, and we lose sight of something really, really important, and what we lose sight of is the heart of the Father, and the things that are really special to Him. And so it's important that we understand that prodigality is a continuum. You have the blatant side of it, and you've got the drifting there over time side of it. 
You've got the younger brother side of it who's blatant, who just throws restraint to the winds. He's going to live however he wants to live, regardless of who said, whatever people say about it. And you've got the elder brother side of it who says, you know what? Uh, I'm faithful. I'm obedient. That means God owes me. And when God doesn't pay up like I think he should, then I'm going to have an attitude about it. I'm going to get ticked off about it. And I'm, I'm, I'm even going to have an attitude uh, toward those who are, showing, who are showing grace in their life because I don't think they deserve it. Life is all about what we deserve and how we earn things when we drift off into the far country or the field of our own view of how, how we think life ought to work. You know, as a parent, I'll just talk honest with you, honestly with you here, and it seems like my tendency is to hold my cards very close when it comes to my family and the family I've raised. And you kind of do that as a pastor because it's just, it's this survival. It's just eliminating headaches, you know, in your life. And so, fortunately, I was very blessed, I think, in terms of just the kids we got to parent and what we got to raise. I mean, yeah, there's little glitches. I've lived here 18 plus years, going on 19. I raised my kids here. Yeah, you know who they were and what they were about. And I know this because you'd come and tell me, okay? That's how I knew what they were into. They didn't have a chance. They couldn't pull anything off. They knew everybody. And you knew them. And uh, occasionally there'd be a letter that come home from school. And Will would try to intercept those, all right? They just know, but I caught him up in it. And okay, so, the, you know, it, that's just life. That's just what, that's just living life and parenting kids. And you all gave me the room to let them make mistakes, to let me work through it with them. And that was, honestly, I'll, this is probably why I'm still here pastoring today. Because you gave me the latitude and the margin just to work through things with them. And... Um, I never had to go uh, bail them out of jail, praise God. You know, that happens to you, just hang on, God is at work, don't ever doubt that. Uh, but there's other things, you know, you kind of you have to work with them through things. And they're really good kids, like I said, but for whatever reason, when they turn 24, they stop listening to me. Okay, that's just what they did. And you know, that's not a bad thing, is it? It's not about, it's differentiation, Dave. I mean, we, have, we get older, we turn 24, we're out on our own, and now I know what mom and dad said and what they think, but I want to try and test my worldview. I want to see if my beliefs hold up in the real world of marketplace of ideas, and I want to see how that works, and I want to decide for myself how I'm going to live my life and what I'm going to do with it. And so there's a, there's a healthy part of that. And then there's another part of it that says, wait a second, I'd be foolish to ignore a source of wisdom and valuable insight in my life, right? There's a part of it that you hope your kids would understand that. I remember uh, realizing that both my sons, uh, Megan's older, so she's up a little ahead of the curve a little bit on this process, but uh, when both my sons, finally Levi turned 24, and I kind of sensed it back when Will was 24, I sensed that this was where they were at. And they're going to go ahead and start testing some things, not just because I said so, or even the Bible says so. They just want to see what life says, how life works. And so I just remember I got Will on uh, an inter, inter, uh, intercom call or just a, a, a speakerphone. He's in Germany. Levi's in Washington. I said, we got to have a talk. And so I just said, hey, I, I'm sensing that, you know, you guys are where you are in your life phase. 
and there's decisions being made. And I, I've been a pastor a while. I've seen people really screw up their lives, and my heart goes out to those who have done that. And I've seen that up close and personal. So you guys have to understand this. It's not just dad saying what dad thinks he ought to, or ought to happen. It's the fact that, listen, I want you to avoid some of the heartache. And I get through that, and, and you know, I kind of get dramatic, you know, okay, the curtain is closing, and picture the curtain closing, the window's shutting, and the door's closing, and you know how you do as a parent. You're just like, for me, this was a dramatic moment. I mean, it's a hard step to take. And so you're kind of laying that out there, painting the word pictures and everything as, as vivid as you can. And then I remember Will saying, hold up, I'm out. He said, Dad. He said, you're trying to keep us from hurt and heartache in life, and you just can't do it. You have to let us get hurt. You have to let us go through this. And we mess it up, we mess it up, but you just have to let us. I was at a, uh, a little Tuck Hill Farm deal up toward Goshen. Anybody ever heard of it? goat soap lady, all right? The only reason I even know this is because Megan tracks that stuff. And that's maybe one of the reasons you're here. I haven't asked you that, but I, I, I wonder if it's not a part of the reason you came to see us. But uh, there's goat soap in Goshen. It's highly precious commodity, all right? And that was yesterday, and I'm looking on this. Uh, I'm look, let me pull it up. I took a picture of it because it kind of touched me. Uh, I'm looking at all the displays and things, and one of the displays says, uh, autumn has a picture of a leaf. You can't see it, but leaves and things. Autumn shows us how beautiful it is to let things go. Autumn shows us how beautiful it is to let things go. It's hard. You want to protect. You want to shelter from the heartache. You want to ensure that the worldview you've worked so hard to instill and invest in them that they understand and live that out because it's going to just save them the hurt and the anguish and that's what you want so much to do as a parent but I'm learning and it's kind of hard even still for me to talk about these things but I'm learning that there's beauty in the letting go that God they're yours if they get hurt they get hurt. They make decisions that aren't good. That's their prerogative. But, per last week's message, the hope is to always be an approachable father. And see what you're going to find as we read through this, um, these trilogies of, this, this trilogy of parables of lostness, is you're going to understand and, and, and discover how precious lost things are. I don't know about you, but when I lose something, it aggravates me. How many of you ever got the brand new pair of socks, you really like them, and the first washing you miss, the, you, you lose it. You lose one of the two, right? Yeah, that ever happened to anybody? All right. And it's just this pair of socks, but you really liked them. And they're made of wicky material, and they're not cotton, and they don't create blisters when you wear them. And you like those things, and you lose it, and you just occupy with it. Where in the world did it go? Is it in, a, is it in, a ta in the towels? Is it inside my pant leg? Where? And I've already folded this stuff, put it away. I have no idea where this is at. 
You just occupy yourself with what's lost. And I think as parents is that, and that's just socks and other things, but when we lose things that are important to us, we occupy and obsess on that, and it's hard to think about anything else. So we fear that. And we just don't want to see that happen. And so, and when you uh, think about that and you realize, well, you know what? What the father does, he just lets, he lets the son go, and he understands where he's at and what has to happen. And sometimes that's what you have to do as a parent is let go, and that's beautiful. Um, so maybe the question this morning for us to ask is, if we're all prodigals, and we are, is how has prodigality been expressed in your life, or how is it being expressed in your life today? We all are prodigals. Uh, elder brother prodigals, younger brother prodigals, but we're prodigals, every one of us. And um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what we do while we wait for people to come to their senses today. Because eventually the elder, younger brother comes to his senses in verse 17. But what do we do until they come to their senses? How do you handle that? See, that's a, good, that's a relevant question. That's a good application question. And we're going to talk about that, but I think we have to understand a little bit more about this Luke 15 before we get there. And by the way, last week I had a couple people come to me after the message, saw them at different places, and said, and they shared their stories, how that the love of a father impacted them when one of their siblings was a prodigal, and what the father did and how he handled that situation. And they're still talking about it years later, and one lady just, her eyes just misted up in tears as she shared the story, how her dad had done something similar for her sister and how much that meant to her. And so we definitely see the love of the Father, but I think the way that Jesus sets this up, and we're going to read through it in just a moment, okay, 32 verses, uh, but the way Jesus sets these parables of lostness up is you've got three things that we see consistent in in all three parables. So you have a loser's sense of loss in all three of them. You've got all three of them that tell you of the thrill of rediscovery. And then thirdly, you have them all ending with a scene of jubilation. All right? So there's a a loss, a loser's sense of loss, a thrill of discovery, and then they end with a scene of jubilation. The refrain of rejoice is heard at the conclusion of all three parables. Let me show you this before we read through. Slide number four. Verse 6, you're going to read that he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Now go to verse 9, slide number 6. He says, in uh, slide number 6, it should be verse 9 for me. And it says, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. And so go to verse 23, if you would, for me. Slide number 15, and we read again now, the, the lost son, the uh, younger prodigal son. Um, let's have a feast and celebrate. Um, go to verse 32, slide number 19, if you would, for me, because we see here we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so what we have here 
is that we have this theme of rejoicing and everybody is happy in, this, in Luke 15. Everybody rejoices. They're just exuberant with so much joy except for one dude. The shepherd's happy. The bridal, uh, uh, the bride, the engaged uh, to be bride in the story who loses one of the coins. Talk about that in just a second. Okay, she's happy. The father's happy. The servants are happy. Everybody's happy and rejoicing except for one person. And, so, and what's so striking about this is that Jesus talks about lost sheep who needed a shepherd. Uh, slide 20, slide 20 and 21, if you would, for me. He talks about lost sheep who needed a shepherd. He talks about one of a hundred. So we're talking about 1% loss, a 1% loss, one out of a hundred. And, and Jesus says the shepherd is concerned and is willing to leave the 90 and 9 and go look for the one. And so we've got a 1% loss. And then Jesus talks about one in 10 coins. Um, go to slide 22 for me. A lost coin that had value and needed to be put back into the future bride's headband and eventually into circulation. And so when you got engaged, you put a headband on your head, you had 10 silver coins around the headband, and this was a little nest egg for you to get your start as a new couple. And she's lost one of those on a clay dirt floor in the shadowy, uh, in the shadowy zones of a Middle Eastern um, home or dwelling. It's going to be hard to find that coin. Okay. And so now we're talking not a 1% loss, but we're 10% loss. And so it goes up to 10%. There's a 10% loss here. And then we read, finally, in the loss of the younger son, the prodigal, um, we have a 50% loss. Uh, you've got two sons, and one of them, well, actually both of them are lost, but we don't see that up front. We just see the one that's lost. And so now you go from 1% to 10% to 50%. What's next? And so there's an implied fourth parable in this trilogy of three parables. There's an implied parable that's not given because Jesus himself is the parable. He's the story. He's the, he's the one that's come to help us all see that, you know what? It's not just 1% loss or 10% loss or 50% loss. We are all prodigals 100% lost by the time you get to the end of the trilogy of parables. One for one. You're a far country parable, uh, lost, you're in a field lost, but either way, you have drifted or you have blatantly taken steps to disregard your identity, your heritage, you're going to step aside from all of it. We're 100% lost. So he, he lays this out for us. And the mathematics work against you at 1%. Do I really want to leave the 99 and go get the 1 and endanger the other? So the mathematics work against you at the 1%. But then it's a little more, 10%, okay. Now we're 50%, right? This is pretty important. What's lost is very, very valuable. And so the way Jesus sets it up, Okay, he just ups the ante through these parables. And he shows you how important this is becoming when it comes to lives of people. 
And so in the first two parables of lostness, someone goes looking for the lost coin and someone goes looking for the lost sheep. But in this third parable, nobody goes looking for the lost younger brother. You see this? Nobody goes looking. And when we come to the parable of what's called the prodigal son, but it's really prodigals, plural, not just singular, no one searches. You've got a father looking, but he's not really searching. No one's searching. And Jesus sets up the question by the way he tells the previous two parables of lostness. And this is the question Jesus sets up. Who should have gone out and searched for the lost son? Who should have concluded this trilogy of parables on a note of joy, but there's bitterness instead. You see this? So Jesus masterfully lays this out, just builds it, and, and, and increases the intensity of it, and he gets to this place where he's, he, it begs the question, okay, the shepherd goes look for the lost sheep, the bride in, in, in waiting, looks for her lost silver coin that she's going to use for her new marriage and family. Okay, who should be going to look for the lost, she, uh, the lost son? Jesus sets it up. And when he does this, what he wants us to see, I believe, because we've got to look at who's telling the story and why he's telling it, that is that we all need a true elder brother who will foot our bill. We all need a true elder brother who foots our bill. Because we're all prodigals. You see, we've taken the gifts of the Father. We've been wasteful with those gifts. We've misused those gifts. We've hurt others with those gifts. It might be in the far country we did it. It might be at home that we did it. But we've incurred a debt. And Jesus deliberately left someone out of the parable. Why? Because the one telling it is him. He's telling it. A true elder brother who would come looking for us and foot our bill with dad. And so Tim Keller contends, Edmund Clooney and others contend, that by placing a flawed elder brother in the story... Jesus is inviting us to yearn and long for a true one. He did this so that we would look to him for, as our true elder brother and find our way home at, least realize, at last and realizing that it was he who found us after all. And so you have a true elder brother would have gone, would have seen the agony of father. He would have, when, when the son came to dad and said, I want you to split the inheritance with me. An elder, a true elder brother would have stepped in there and said, wait a second, we're not doing it this way in our family. We're going to respect dad. We're going to respect our parents. We're going to make sure that we honor them. The elder brother would have stepped in. And he would have circumvented that situation and, and, and perhaps prevented that from happening. You see, a true elder brother would have seen the agony of the father. He said, dad, you know, I'm going to go out and I'm going to look for my little brother. He's lost. And if he's ruined himself... And he squandered his inheritance. I'm going to bring him home again. I'll do it at my expense because he's family and your heart's important to me. And I'm going to go get him and find him and bring him home. It doesn't happen that way. The shepherd looked for the sheep. The, the bride getting ready to get married looks for the silver coin. But nobody looks for the younger, elder, younger brother. And Jesus sets it up this way. To show you that, number one, if you 
I mean, the practical side of this, if you're an elder brother and you got siblings that are just in the far country, God's going to tap you on the shoulder today and he's going to say, you have a responsibility. Don't just let them go. Go find them. You have an older sibling, you're an older sibling, you're an older child in the family. That's part of our responsibility, I believe. It's to step in there and to make sure, let's bring them home. And even though we don't have those ideal elder brothers, okay, I had elder brothers. I love my elder brothers. I'm the fifth of five. I have an elder sister too. They all got to tell me what to do growing up. They had fun, right? And then also I found out as a baby in the family, I could probably get away with a lot more and they'd get all the blame. So that worked the other way too. But I remember my older brothers, how important they are. My oldest brother would let his whiskers grow for two or three days and then he would take that whiskery chin. He would pull my arm up and put his chin underneath my naked armpit and drive me crazy. And that's an elder brother. That's what they do, right? They're elder brothers. Uh, they provide good example. They're role models. They, they, they protect the family. They emphasize, you know, the house rules and respecting mom and dad. And they even correct siblings who get on the wayward path because they're older and they're wiser. And they step in and they do these things. Right? And that's the joy of it. They introduce you to new things. And there's, they give you emotional support. And they give guidance. And they soften the blows of life. Because that's what God calls elder siblings to do. But so many times, elder siblings maybe don't do that. And so I think we all are, are given just a general, a very general exhortation here. If you've got extended family, whether... Uh, whatever your role is in the family, that, that God maybe is tapping each of us on the shoulder in a way that only he can that says, hey, wait a second. If there's somebody going to search, I'm tapping you, and I want you to pray, and I want you to uh, just seek my face as to what maybe we could do together in partnership to pursue that which is lost. Some of you have siblings that are so far in left field and you have children, and we have loved ones. Some of us have spouses, right? And that's hard for us, and, and it's hard for us to navigate, know how to get through this, and what's the next move here? And I, and I think Jesus understands this, and he understands that, you know what? We're never going to have the perfect, ideal elder brother that can do all the things maybe we need done in life. And so Jesus sets it up this way to let us know that, that, that he would woo and win us to his own heart and that he is the only true elder brother that's capable. He's the one who wins the robe. He's the one who, who has the fatted calf and he earns all of that and he bestows that honor of sonship on each of us because he's a true elder brother and it cost him everything. But he sacrifices all of it. He takes his own inheritance and he uses it to bring, to, to, to bring us home. And so oftentimes I think we long for this elder brother and Jesus recognized that. And he is the true elder brother who understands our plight. He understands our dilemma. And he says, hey, I am the one you've always been seeking. I love the Father, and I love you, 
and, and I want to I see you come home. How much difference it could have made. You know, we're lost in our lust and our hate and our greed and our pleasures. But it's Jesus who comes down here and he shows us the love of the Father for his creation. And it's Jesus, the true elder brother, who pursues us until he finds us. And he entreats us, why don't you come home? Dad misses you, okay? I miss you. All the servants and farmhands ask about you every day. Our get-togethers aren't the same. We miss your stories. We miss the adventures that you go on and tell us about. And we miss your laughter. Why don't you just come home and let's make a new start with Dad. Let's make a new start with everybody. How much different this story could be if we had a true elder brother in the story that would sense this sense of responsibility and calling. The younger brother's inheritance had already been wasted. And if I read the text correctly against the cultural backdrop of the time, the elder brother was the owner of the remaining assets with the dad who had emeritus status. And so the dad could call some shots, but he wasn't technically the legal owner anymore. And you remember this from the reading last week. But we have to be reminded, like, every robe belongs to the elder brother. Every fatty calf belongs to the elder brother. Every ring belongs to the elder brother. And somebody has to cover the cost of all the family drama. And so when the, when the father says, bring a robe... But it's the elder brother's robe that they're bringing, you see. When the father says, bring a ring, it's the elder brother's ring. When the father says, bring the fatted calf, it's the elder brother's fatted calf. And there's no way for the younger son to just come back in without a a cost being incurred. On slide 19, verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. The father just can't say, let's just let bygones be bygones. You messed this up and you've created a lot of drama and a lot of cost to the family no no somebody has to pay for it and that's the gospel and I want you to the reason I'm emphasizing it up front here this morning is I I don't want us to miss this primary proposition I'm making to you this morning and Jesus is like you don't have to earn your way back into the family I'm just going to take you back and pay the price as any true elder brother would And the only way back to the father's heart is through the expense of the elder brother. And he gladly paid it. Edmund Clooney said, Jesus Christ is our older brother, the firstborn of the father. He's the seeking shepherd who goes out to find the lost. He's the resurrection and the life who can give life to the dead. He's the heir of the father's house. And to him, the father can truly say, son, all that I have is yours. To him, to Jesus, the father can say, all that I have is yours. He who is a son became a servant that we might be made the sons and daughters of God. Don't miss this this morning. There's a true elder brother. He's the one who obeyed the father perfectly and completely. He never disobeyed. He came to earth, into our far country. He loved God with all of his heart, soul, body, mind, and strength. He lived a perfectly obedient life, but at the very end of his life, what happened? He was stripped, and they cast lots for his robe. He didn't get the fatty calf. He got vinegar instead. This elder brother comes to you, and he says, the only way to, you can be clothed in righteousness, the only way for you to be clothed is for me to be stripped, and the only way you can get the robes and the ring is for me to lose them. 
They're mine and I've earned them, but I freely give them to you. And that's why the gospel is so powerful. Salvation is absolutely free, but it's unbelievably costly. And Christ is showing us this, this, this fourth implied parable that's not here in this trilogy of the three. He's showing us that he is the true elder brother. And Jesus Christ is showing us in the bad elder brother what a true elder brother would have done and what everyone who heard him tell this story would want to do if they understood the Father's heart. And that's the gospel, and that's beautiful. You know, we read in this passage, uh, go to verse 1 if you would for me. Jesus says the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. These are people on the outside. You have to understand tax collecting. These people would bid to uh, collect so many taxes for Rome. They would often upcharge the bids and things and inflate, and they had ways of cutting corners, and so they were just really on the outside uh, with the leaders and religious people of Israel, right? They couldn't stand these guys, but Jesus, they were all gathering around Jesus because there's something about Jesus that draw, drew them in. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, and then Jesus said, okay, let me tell you three stories. And this is what he does. We'll just read through it here. Next slide. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them, 1%. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Praise God. He says, I tell you in that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. uh, Parable number two. Or suppose a woman who's about to be married has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 11, Jesus continued, you've got 1%, you've got 10%, now you're going to be facing 50% loss. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. And we're waiting for that elder brother to step in there and say, son, no, don't, brother, little brother, come on, we need to have a conversation. Don't do this to our family. He doesn't do it. Instead, he just says, okay, let's do this division thing, right? Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Jesus puts it delicately. Uh, the elder son calls it prostitution later in, the, later in the chapter. Jesus says this wild living. He's delicate in how he says it. After he had spent everything, there was severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Ironically enough, he's looking for freedom, and he got slavery instead. That ever happened to you? That's what happens many times when we blatantly go in the far country, right? We're looking for freedom. We get slavery. Now, what's really amazing, the elder brother, he thought he was a son 
but he viewed himself as a slave. That's the irony of this. You'll see in a second. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. His way of saying, you don't have to treat me like family anymore. Next slide. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Of course, parents know their children by how they walk. It's amazing how they can do that. And so he sees and recognizes this guy in the gate he's got. And he knows it's him. And he's filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around and he kissed him. And, And what's amazing, there's no questions or snide remarks. You know, what do you do? What did you do with all the money? Or what did you keep the rule? Why didn't you keep the rules like your brother? Or are you proud of yourself? Notice that. Go to the next slide. Questions like how disgusting, or it serves you right, or you got what you deserved, or, or you owe me and your older brother an apology, and go clean up and dress properly, and maybe I'll let you sit on the porch. You're not coming inside like that. We don't see that. Next slide. So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against you. His Jewishness is coming back. He's hesitant to call God, God, because they just are very sensitive in how they use the name of God. So he says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He thought all along it was about dad's reputation. But now he realizes it was just more about the relationship. Dad wanted him more than anything else. Next slide. I'm not going to receive you as a servant, dad says. No, no, I'm going to reinstate you as a son. The father said to his servants, quick, let's reinstate the status of my boy, okay? Bring the best robe and put it on him. The gift of honor, okay, status. Put a ring on his finger, the gift of authority. He can transact business with that thing. Sandals on his feet. Servants uh, often went barefoot, so it's a gift of sonship. Next slide. Bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And dad refuses to accept him as a slave. He opts for sonship instead. This is the gospel. So whether you're a prodigal son that's blatantly in the far country, or you've drifted there like the elder son over time, either way, Many times we're not living up to our sonship. We're living as slaves. And that's what we see these guys doing. Next slide. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Meanwhile... Uh, The older brother became angry, and he refused to go in and stand by his father and serve the other guests per the custom. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Notice the father pleads, uh, and he goes out and meets the younger son as well. Now he's going out to meet the elder son, who's never left home, always faithful at home, right, doing his job. He goes out and pleads with him as well, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. 
key phrase. I've been slaving for you. Next slide. I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Verse 30, and we'll wrap up here. But when this son of yours who has squandered their property and with prostitutes comes home, Jesus calls it wild living. Younger son, uh, older son knows his brother. He says, no, it's with prostitutes. He squandered everything. He just wants to... He just wants to up the nastiness factor, okay? This is how nasty this son of yours is. The son of yours, not my brother, okay? He's a this one. The son of yours, a this one. This son, okay? This guy, he's distancing himself, creating gappage between. And he says, he's come home and killed a fattened calf for him. And my son, the father said, verse 31, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. We, have had, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And Jesus leaves us longing for a true elder brother. You know, prodigal sons and daughters of the younger son variety have to come to our senses. If you go back to verse 17, slide number 9, if you would, for me. This is what it says there in verse 17. When he came to himself, when he came to his senses. Some translations have to himself. And it it implies that he's like beside himself. He's trying to create this new identity. And so the far country is a place where you become disillusioned with who you are and what you are and you're displaced you're outside of yourself as it were and the state of rebellion against God is pictured as a it's a very striking way to say this in verse 17 when he came to his senses or he came to himself it's a kind of of stupor or madness we're not thinking straight and we and coming to our senses uh, so many times involves going through something painful C.S. Lewis said that pain plants uh, plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. Pain plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. And so many times coming to our senses, sometimes it's famines, sometimes it's loss, incredible loss, loneliness, abandonment. Sometimes it's all these things that God uses to plant the flag of truth in the fortress of a rebel soul so that we can come to ourselves, that we can get integrated again. And the language of repentance, you see this, uh, you know, he's been running from the Father. He's trying to create a home outside of the Father. uh, And living with Christ is, is such folly. And the language of repentance is, how could I have been so blind? It's this way of saying, how could I have been so ungrateful? How could I have missed the obvious? Father, he says, slide 13, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. He's telling, you know, before this, he's telling dad and God and brother that no one else can tell him how to live his life. I'm entitled to this. I deserve this. After all the pain maybe my family has put me through or all that I've endured, I'm entitled to this. That was the language 
And now we see in verse 17, it's like he came to his senses. Well, what do we do until someone comes to their senses? How do you love a prodigal while they're choosing the pig pen in an area of their life? How do you create a home environment that they want to come back to after they come to their senses? I think, first of all, we have to be honest about our own brokenness. The prodigal is not the only one broken in the family. We're sinful because we're human. And Jesus had to die for people who stayed at home, too. And we've got to remember that. And there's a caution I would even add, because we have to work through this slowly sometimes, but we have to be honest with our own brokenness, because, and the caution is, especially for, for those of us and, and individuals who may be connected in some way to a prodigal in their life, and this is, I, I did a lot of reading on this over the last couple of weeks, and here's what I'm discovering nearly, nearly by everybody, they're saying this, and that is that you have to be careful because draining all the time and resources on one prodigal when all the other family members have attention needs too is a big mistake. And if somebody's broken is a lot worse than somebody else's broken, that incredibly broken individual can just drain the attention and resources. And you've got young people growing up in families who look back and they get resentful because mom and dad was always focused here and never over here. We're in the family too. We're important too. We have brokenness too. And so I think what do we do until someone comes to their senses? We're honest about our own brokenness because we're broken. I think a second thing is to be the one to absorb the heartbreak. And that means working at not inflicting your hurt on other people. You know how this goes. They slop around in the mud in some way. We get mad. We speak truth. They get hurt. They do more of the same. And we get mad again. And Jesus, as I look at this, I think of the true elder brother. It's so hard for us to do this. But Jesus absorbed defenses, and he stands with us when we do the same. And one of the things I think we have to guard against as well is retreating too far when they hurt you to shoo you off. And many times, whether you're in the field prodigal or in the far country prodigal, just don't want to talk about this. And the, and the hurt can be inflicted just to run you off and make you go the other direction. Be honest about your brokenness. Be the one to absorb the hurt, the heartache, the heartbreak. Be clear on where you stand on something and why you stand there and why you can't enable or support a decision that violates a value that you have. I find it intriguing that even though the older brother is just a 
it's a, he's a foil to help us see the value of a true elder brother. But the elder brother in the story, the father in the story, he never travels to the far country and sleeps with the pigs, with the younger son. He never gets in the pig pen with him. He doesn't follow him there. The father doesn't get in the pig pen. He doesn't shake his finger in the face of the, of the uh, younger son, the prodigal all covered in the muck and the mire. He doesn't climb in that pig pen and shake his finger. He never said, let's see how nice we can make the pig pen to live in for you here. You, you don't have to enable anything and try to dress up a pig pen to make it more doable or livable. That's not your calling. Your calling and my calling is to speak truth. And to, in love, and to speak it in a way that helps bring people their hearts back home. I think a fourth thing is to be free from having to control outcomes. Because we want to control the outcome. We want to eliminate anxiety and worry and stress and frustration. And, and you know the answer. And you're watching someone struggle to find the answer. And it's so exhausting. And, and, and they're exhausting. You're exhausting. And, and yet it, it is so simple and I just can't imagine, you know, God, as he watches us every day, do the same thing until we finally come to our senses. But he does that in your life and my life every day. What do we do until someone comes to their senses? I think a fifth and final thing. The Lord will teach us this, this as we go. And that is to be surrendered to God and leave room for him to do what you cannot do. Because somebody loves that prodigal of yours more than you do. And God can bring people home at any time. He knows the perfect timing. And for some, like I said, it'll take famines and pig pens. It'll take that. For others, it'll take removing all the things that you find an identity in. And those things will be decimated in your life until the only thing left standing is Jesus. And I think the one thing, the one thing that would emphasize that just at the end of this list of five things, and I, I think that we take too long to walk into the arms of the Lord ourselves. We wait and we wait and we hope and we hope. Prodigal wives and husbands, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, and we wait and we pray and we hold on, we wanting to see them walking in the arms of the Savior. And we carry that. And eventually I think we understand, you know, it's I who needs to walk in the arms of the Savior. That I can't carry this. It's only my true elder brother who can take it. And who can work in ways that I could never do. We take too long to walk into the arms of the Lord. You know, it's interesting this morning, I, I realize I've talked about elder son variety, uh, prodigality, the younger son variety. We, we Both of those sons have to come to their senses. We know that the older brother becomes angry, verse 28. He becomes angry. He refuses to go in. His father goes out and pleads with him. So sometimes we have to repent not just for actual acts of sin like the younger son, but for the attitudes of the heart toward our father. 
Prodigals, they come in two varieties. Like I said, one flaunts God and his principles and guidelines and does whatever. The other one maybe just kind of drifts there over time. Well, how do I know, Pastor, if I, which one I am? How do I know? Well, if, you've, if you're addicted, if you've hit rock bottom, uh, if sexual acts with other people is no big deal, high body counts, if you've drugged yourself up at parties, if you've satisfied your appetites any way that you want, you're a younger brother prodigal. And Jesus loves you, and you're lost, and we get so lost in those places, and he loves you, and, and he cares for you, and you're not living up to the sonship. You're living as a slave. Well, how do I know if I'm an elder brother? In the, have elder brother lostness. Well, in verse 29, slide 18, slide 18, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat. He's comparing himself with, this, with the younger brother of his. And elder brothers look around at other people. And they don't deserve this in life. And so we live with that lens. And, and God owes me. And I deserve better. And when we're always angry and we have this undercurrent of anger that runs through our life and we all have to fight this chances are we've kind of come down with elder brother syndrome and it makes it tough because this undercurrent of anger life rarely ever goes the way you want it to go and it makes it tough elder brothers are looking around at people and they're making these assessments And so whether we go into the far country blatantly, whether we drift there over time, elder brother is so dangerous. Elder brother lostness is so dangerous. I think what I have found, and probably you have too, and that is that younger brother prodigals tend to admit it after a while because the pain is so much they they can't ignore it anymore. But elder brothers look at all the good things they have to offer to God, and and that becomes their religion and their salvation. I'm all about the Father's issues, all about the Father's business, all about the Father's orders, all about the Father's affairs, but somewhere in the process, I've lost sight of the heart of the Father. And the younger brother comes in and he says, I'm no longer worthy because your son made me, slide number nine, verse 19, just make me like one of your hired servants. And when you say, just make me a slave, the father makes him a son, and yet here's an elder brother who thinks he's a son, and yet because of his spiritual condition, he's actually acting like a slave. It's all slavery to him. I've been here, and I've never left, but I want you to know something, Dad. It's all grind. It's all been a grind to me. There's no joy in this. And the appeal of Jesus here in the story is that we we do have to come to our senses and we have to ultimately realize to find healing for this the elder brother our true elder brother is the only way home slide 25 during the war in Vietnam army lieutenant Daniel Dawson had a reconnaissance plane uh, mission And he goes over the Viet Cong jungle behind enemy lines. And when Dawson flew a low pass over the jungle treetops, uh, a little northeast of Saigon, he was shot down by Viet Cong uh, small arms fire, and they crashed. He crashed. 
and he was MIA. Uh, the pilot there is on your right, and who you probably have never heard of or, or that you don't know is his brother, is Daniel there on the right, his brother Donald on the left. And when the family, the family could no longer get word of Daniel's whereabouts, Donald flew to Vietnam and he risked his life. Um, in fact, he, he sold everything that he had. He left his family with just a small amount of money and he bought passage to Vietnam and there was no cost too great and no risk too extreme to find out what happened to his brother. And he equipped himself, slide 26 if you would for me. He equipped himself with soldier's gear and he wandered through the guerrilla controlled jungle for eight months. Um, he looked for his brother and Donald arrived in Saigon in early 1965. And he immediately asked the men in Daniel's unit if they had any information on him. He had studied reports of the incident, and Donald determined the crash site was in the vicinity of the Viet Cong stronghold known as War Zone D, or, or the Iron Triangle, not far outside of Saigon. And with uh, no military experience, he had a small rifle, he had a pistol, he had water purification tablets, and he had a bottle of pep pills, which was basically methamphetamines that was widely popular in 1960s America. And he took off, and he, he acquired a small German shepherd named Code that was his buddy, and he picked him up in Saigon, and he took off looking for his brother. The U.S. military said, hey, you know what? We're sympathetic, but we are warning you that we can't help you if you get into trouble, you're on your own. And so he carried these leaflets, um, picturing the plane and describing in Vietnamese the reward for the news of the missing pilot. He became known as the brother. Slide 24. I verified the story. And slide 24, it actually this article appeared in uh, Life magazine. And I believe it, the date was March 12, 1965. Imagine that. Two American boys grew up together. One gets shot down in Vietnam, and the other one says, I'm going to find you. We're going to find out what happened to my brother. And so he takes off. And the Life magazine reporter described the search uh, and what's so fascinating is the villagers and even the enemy soldiers respected that. And, and the Oriental people, you know, many times they're, they're much more based and grounded in terms of family and how they view that. And they so respected this brother from America, slide 27, this brother from America who was looking for this other brother who was downed, a pilot who was downed over the jungles of Vietnam. And they just started calling him, well, there's the brother. And on several occasions, he walked boldly up to Viet Cong roadblocks. Uh, he moved past them without ta uh, talking or looking down. And he followed only, uh, only by the, uh, they, they couldn't believe, their eyes would just follow this guy, this lone bearded white man walking through the jungles of Vietnam looking for his brother. And they would just let him pass. He was eventually captured and he was held prisoner by Viet Cong in a large log cage. Four months later, after being in captivity, 
He got malaria. He just about died. This is Donald, the brother that's looking for his missing brother. And by the way, they never found him. He's probably somewhere in Vietnam. I've lost his life from the being shot down. And after weeks of agony, the article says this guy recovers, and he, es- he was escorted on foot out of the communist-controlled territory. And after three days of walking, he reached Allied troops. And he's been known now, he's just known as the brother. What I'm proposing to you this morning is that this is what the elder brother should have done in Luke 15. This is what Jesus came to do. He is the fourth and missing parable of the three. Because we're 100% lost. And the elder brother should have gone to his dad and said, Dad, I'll go back for Joe Bob in the far country. I'll bring him home again. And if you have no further inheritance to give him, then Dad, I'll cover the expenses. I'll bring him back into the family at my expense. I'll cover the cost. And the response of the younger brother when shown that kind of love, muddy from slopping and the hogs and feeding the pigs, hungry and lonely and afraid and abandoned. Joe Bob would have looked at his brother and said, I'm ready. I'll give my work notice. I'll pack what little belongings I have left. And I'll come home. This morning, Jesus is the elder brother that you've never had. We needed one who would not just go to a far country looking for us. We needed one who would come all the way from heaven to earth. We needed one who was willing to pay even with his own life to bring us home to be with dad again and moved by the sight of what, cost, what it cost our elder brother to do such a thing, he would forever win our hearts. And that's the gospel. You know, we can move this story from an unfinished ending to a delayed ending if you decide in light of all of it to come home. And if you're a prodigal this morning, whether you're blatantly in the far country or you've kind of drifted there over time, the true elder brother awaits. Will you bow and pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this day.